Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show, where we have a lot to talk about this week. And it's not because we haven't had a show for a couple of weeks. It's because everything ha- happened like in the last week. Not completely. I mean, there were some car launches and car reveals and yeah, but that stuff makes like boring that that happened. Um, there was new, um, well, Otmar Safnauer being named as the new team principal over at... Uh, Alpine, and we'll talk about that in a bit. I was going to say, you just <clears throat> spoiled one of the stories that we're going through because we actually did some pre show prep. Um, there's new sponsors over at Williams. Duracell is a sponsor over at Williams now. New sponsors over at Red Bull with Oracle as a title sponsor mm-hmm. for them. I mean, th- there's been stuff that has happened. Okay. But in the last couple of weeks, We've checked in on our normal recording day. Do we have any stories? Well, the only thing we have is this one thing. Not enough to make a, a show. So we canceled. And then, I'm just trying to preface this with, it's not entirely my fault. Just to be clear, though, with this week, if there was just one thing. It was big enough we were going to have a, a show. Because mm-hmm. it was the one thing. So before we even get to the big news, just a reminder of what this week actually is. This week is the probably the the most noticeable indication we have that Formula One is kicking off for the 2022 season. Because the cars have launched. Well, it's not just the cars have launched. Cars will be on. I would love to say that it is the first winter test, but no. This is a private shakedown event that all the teams are going to. And the media is going to be at, but they're not allowed to broadcast. But there's going to be social media posting about it. And F1's going to make posting about it. But they're not allowed be... to broadcast. And yeah. there will be no fans. No fans, yeah. Figure that one out. When, when we talked about this three weeks ago, it was... Well, you know, maybe this is replacing some of the filming days and the shakedown days that the teams do. But guess what the teams have been doing the last two weeks? Filming days and shakedown days. Yeah. I know. So I, I, I really don't understand. This will be forever what... be, be known as the test that was not a test. Yeah. So anyway, this past Monday, the F1 commission met. Yes. And... We got a little bit of news, but not much. And really about the news that we got was um, Toto Wolff and Christian Horner completely avoiding questions about what happened. And at the same time that Toto was being asked what happened, everybody was completely ignoring Lawrence Stroll right next to him. Totally ignoring. It was like he wasn't there. Yeah, he's probably used to that. Yeah, well. Um, the other bit of news that came out, and, and I have an issue with it, but we'll, we'll talk about some of the other stories as we get through this and, and the wild speculation that the other bit of news that came out on Monday. And that was that while the FIA had completed their investigation of the events of the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, despite what we had been told they would not be publicly releasing the results of those investigations, of that investigation. 
And that, pretty crappy. Didn't it kind of break the F1 fanverse? It did. Now, what they said, and, and, and they did end up doing, was that while they were not going to release the results of that investigation, they were going to announce, and they did later that week, the changes that the structural changes to Formula One that they were making as a result of the investigation. Right. So this has led the fan base and the media to play a choose your own adventure. Pretty much. Fill in the blanks as you see fit. Pretty much. Up until oh was it Wednesday was the no, Thursday was the seventeenth. When the news that we'd been waiting for dropped. And it led with the headline of Michael Massey removed as F1 race director. There might have been cheering at the uh, yeah. Bloke and the Bird headquarters. So, and, and I'm going to, as always, preface the conversation around Michael the same way. We don't think he's a bad guy. We don't think he's incompetent. We don't think he is mean. We don't think that he was deliberately trying to tip the scales of the, the driver's championship. We do think he made a really bad decision coming out of a season of fairly not great decisions. Yeah, that's one way to say it. Um, I think the way because I, I don't want to slag the guy for being human. The way I said it earlier this <clears throat> week when it first came out was, it is my opinion that full stop Michael Mossy greatly affected the outcome of the twenty one championship, and I don't I, think we can argue that. However, I do not believe that it is entirely the one decision that I think was really, really bad in Abu Dhabi. I think had he made consistent calls all through the season, we would have never had a tied championship on the last lap of the last race. His decision-making process added a significant amount of uncertainty and doubt going into that weekend. Mm Mm-hmm that just was made even worse on those those final laps of the race. Yes. Okay, so what we do know is that Michael Massey was not fired. He was not put on gardening leave. No. Uh, he was not shown the proverbial door and asked for it not to hit him on the way out. No, and, and that's why we said he has been removed as race director and... Mohammed bin Salam has confirmed that Michael is being offered another position within Formula One, most likely, or, or within the, the FIA, most likely safety related. And we, we've said it before and we'll say it again, fully support Michael having a role within the FIA around safety because of any of the decisions that that Michael has made, any of the rulings that he has made from a safety perspective, I think he has always gone in the right direction. From a safety perspective. 
And they're doing some really cool things around who will be the race director. So, um, actually, it's going to be two folks who will be replacing him. Um, one is former DTM uh, race director Niels Wittich, who apparently was already announced as being the deputy race director prior to Michael being relieved of his duties. Okay. Um, but also will be joined by the WEC, well, now the about to be former WEC race director, Eduardo Freitas. Okay. Um, they'll be splitting the duties, and both of them... Will, oh, and I should add, <laughs> as, as I get into this, we did get a really angry email this... Well, okay, I got a really... It was all you, man. It was week. all you, man. Um, it was from Herbie Blash, who was a little upset that Apparently, I kept saying he was dead. He's not dead. Apparently he was... Not quite dead yet. A little surprised to hear that he had had demised. Okay, so he was doing work with, with Yamaha's MotoGP team, which you think is death. Maybe. <laughs> I think you think very little of Yamaha. Then, <laughs> um, no. The he started. He was a very kind gentleman because. Herbie is a gentleman at his core. It started his email to you with the... You dumbass. <laughs> no, he said, the rumors of my demise have been greatly uh, exaggerated. Yeah. Um, but yes, uh, you uh, you have to eat the words that uh, Mr. Blash is not, no longer deceased. <laughs> so Herbie will be... He, he will not be technically a race director, um, he'll be a senior advisor to the race directors. A, a phone a friend. Something along those lines. Um, actually, the response, particularly around the naming of Herbie as having a role in the new, how did they call it? Referee, race <laughs> referee system that they're putting in place. Um that has been exceptionally positive. Uh, Everyone loves the idea that Herbie's going to be involved and, and to be a steadying hand here. Well, quite frankly, <clears throat> I mean, I know that I was particularly, you know, vocal about the fact that this would not have happened under Charlie's watch. And uh, given that Herbie uh, basically came up under Charlie Whiting... Mm -hmm. It gives really an air of respectability and like, okay, the adults are going to be back and, um, you know, it's, 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 it's to the race director's world as pulling Murray Walker back into the commentary box when that happened. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's important to have that type of gravitas. So some of the other things that are, that are changing. So, for starters, race control will have remote assistance from an off-site FIA facility. It's expected to be probably in Geneva. We're not sure yet. But this would be another set of eyes, real-time with connectivity. And we've seen, we know that this can be done. The teams do it all the time. Um, Mohammed Ben Salam kind of calls, he compares it to like the, the video replay system in the various sports leagues. I so think that's that reasonable. 
Um, he's also confirmed, and this we, we kind of saw coming, was that radio communications from the Teams 2 race control will no longer be broadcast and be more strictly controlled. Um, specifically, what they're saying is they're not taking away the ability for the teams to contact race control to ask questions. Mm-hmm. And they, they, they should still have that ability. But the direct appeals to the race director, like we saw in the last race, and yes, I'm looking right at Total Wolf because he was way over the line. That kind of stuff is being shut down, and those communications will not be broadcast. Which, I'm of two minds, because on one hand, I do kind of like that insight, and, and we did positively review it when it first happened. But towards the end of the season, they, they were crossing the line. And the thing is, because we've never heard it before, we don't know if they were, if that's always been crossing the line. Mm-hmm. And we just didn't know. And, you know, Charlie had a thicker skin about it. And, you know, at some point, I'm sorry, racing, and I'm, I fully admit this, I'm a Toto defender, but it's an emotional moment. And there's times that you just... You just need to scream at the television. Yeah. And Toto's got a button that can call Michael, and he's going to say, hey, I want this thing. And it's Michael's job to go, no. And I think maybe if that had, if what we heard was standard that has always gone on that way, then what we do know is Charlie had a thicker skin for it. And that's what I think you have to kind of marry in that plan. Well, it was a combination of things. Some of it was that Charlie had a thicker skin, but the other was that Bernie Eccleston had a much lower tolerance for it. And there was that reputation that if you push Charlie too hard, you were getting a call from Bernie. That's true. And nobody wanted a call from Bernie. (laughs) No. At least with Bernie being pissed off. No. Um, No. And... So, for all I know, there have always been appeals like that, whether over we the line or some. over the line or not. For all we know, they were always there. For all we know, every race that was close, some team principal called and tried to make a a, a bargain or a an appeal, a direct appeal. Um, I think it's actually a good thing to not broadcast that. I really do. I think that's a yeah. how the sausage is made kind of thing. Yes, it was cool in the moment. I would love to have them say something to the effect of, if we hear something that would be fan worthy, maybe it's in post. Maybe it's some of the comments in the radio that gets released after the maybe. race. Maybe. Um, maybe it gets pulled into some of the behind the scenes stuff that Netflix gets or some like. Show it to me later when I'm not in the moment. And then you can edit. Then you can kind of present the story that makes sense. I think that that's got some power. It depends on how it's done. And and I'm concerned, and we'll talk about Netflix later, but I'm concerned about Netflix being the purview of Netflix. They're artificial story. But you you kind of see where I'm going with this. Mm -hmm. It would be, I, I enjoyed hearing it. Did I need it in the moment? Probably not. Did it 
cause consternation and add pressure to the race director. And that's, I think, the part of why they have to pull it off the broadcast is all of a sudden the race director is not making a, a decision in the moment with just the facts around him. He's making a decision in the moment with the facts around him, knowing that people are calling him and it's being broadcast and his response is being broadcast and where he might want to say one thing, would it sound right on the air? And now you've got to think about that thing. And that's not what a position the race director should have been in. Mm-hmm. He should be able to make private decisions and do it without, you know, he's not an elected official. He doesn't have to do it in front of the, the potty. Well, it's not just that, but it's also in some of those situations, the race director's focus is truly supposed to be on making sure that, you know, a lot of those communications are happening during an incident response. Mm-hmm. And he's got to make sure that the incident is responded to safely. The marshals are safe. The, the first responders are safe. The drivers are safe. And all of that stuff is going on. And the signaling is all appropriate. And now he's got a team boss yelling in his ear over something. That shouldn't be happening. All right. And he's got to worry about what which one of these calls is getting put on the air. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I, I hear you. It's just it's an added pressure. And in a job that needs zero added pressures, the pressure is already there. Let's not artificially add one that doesn't need to be there. So all of these changes we think are good. But the problem is we know that they've made these changes They've made these changes in response to a pretty significant controversy that has damaged the credibility of Formula One. But we don't know what they found. Okay. I have, I, I realize that everything I have is a theory. Mm-hmm. But you just said <clears throat> something incredibly poignant. I know. Be, be careful. Don't, yeah, do, don't, dangerous. Do, don't do that again. There was a controversy that damaged the credibility of Formula One. Yep. What happens if the outcome of the investigation has the potential of damaging the credibility of the very championship? And I think that it's not not illogical to think that what they found would at best put an asterisk on the championship but at worst could call in question who the champion should have been and that becomes problematic i mean that that's got all sorts of downstream problematic remember a couple years ago when there was a sudden and sharp decline in the in the power that ferrari had in their engine Mm -hmm. as a direct result of some sort of scrutineering and there was an investigation and yada yada woof woof they all settlement there was a settlement and everybody agreed they weren't going to talk about it what did every pundit say well because there was a settlement because there were these things that were the outcome that we know of we have to conclude that there was something wrong they're not going to they're not mm-hmm. going to confirm or deny that there was something wrong. 
I'm using that exact same logic and saying, because of the changes and the kind of changes that they're making, we have to conclude that their silence is screaming something's wrong. Yeah, and, and that was going to be my point in a lot less words, <laughs> is, is basically what Formula One has done by doing all of this is they have essentially left the fans and the press and the pundits with no other option than to draw the conclusion that they found that the ending of that race was not in compliance with their own rules. What other conclusion can we come up with? And 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 that's the problem. Now, I will also say the the other problem that Formula One ran into, again, goes right back to Michael Massey and how they have handled the situation around Michael. One of the comments that was made was that Michael was at the meeting on Monday of the the Formula One commission. And the folks who were talking anonymously about this were saying that the Michael Massey who was present at this meeting was not the Michael Massey that they are used to in the paddock and at other meetings. He was not friendly. He was not. He he is oh he has always had a reputation of being very warm and very personable. And the the response what what they said was he was obviously very haunted. He was very flat. He was very unemotional. This was not the same Michael Massey that they have seen in the past. And I lay that directly at the feet of Formula One because there were two directions that they really should have gone with this right from the start, and they didn't go in either way. And they left Michael hanging out to dry. Either they should have turned around and threw as much support as possible behind Michael for the last two months... As opposed to, well, maybe we'll fire, maybe we'll keep them, we don't know. We're not saying anything at all, which didn't help either. Or right from the start, you should have turned around and said, we're going to move Michael off into another role. But to keep him dangling for two plus months was wrong. Well, absolutely. And I'm not surprised that he was haunted and upset and flat. He's hurting. I mean, full stop. He's hurting. He's been the target and of, well, of our podcast. Mm -hmm. He's been the target and he's been the scapegoat for all things that were wrong. I will admit that we did give him the, we think that you were not set up for success out. Yeah. But still hold him responsible for what we think is wrong. So I'm not surprised. I'll be very surprised if he actually takes the role in the safety. I mean, like at some point he may just go, I need, I need a break. I need out. I think it depends on what the role is because there are a lot of behind the scenes, quiet roles at the FIA. And if this is one of those roles that he can basically be productive at the FIA, but ultimately fade into obscurity because he doesn't need to be Mm -hmm. in front of the press. He doesn't need to show up at a Formula One race. 
you know, maybe he they have him involved in DTM or WEC or one of these other sanctioned series in a behind the scenes fashion. He could still have a really good career in autosport. That's true. That's true. So, but yeah, the the FIA has given us no other option to but to draw the conclusion that the race was not handled properly mm-hmm. in those last laps and it could have called the championship the results of the championship into into question exactly and that in its own right i think formula 1 is screwed up with it's not the first time yeah it's not the first time it won't be the last time it's you know weird sort of way i think it's one of the reasons we like formula one is they very much make mistakes yeah and some of them are kind of very public and it's sort of you know we can armchair quarterback the the mistakes but they make them and then you know in a few years somebody will say oh you remember that time yeah that didn't go out that didn't go so well so yeah, you know, the, the, this is like our, our qualifying back in, what was it, 2016? They bend well, it. Didn't like it. They bend it. But, I mean, I, I, give, I go back even further. I mean, at some point somebody thought hay bales on the side of, of the tracks was a good idea. Well, again, keep in mind, back then, safety was a handlebar mustache and, and a leather, a leather polo, helmet. polo helmet. Yeah. Um, those aren't the only changes that have been announced. No, they're not. And the the other one that was announced as a direct follow-up to the Abu Dhabi event is supposed to be a change in the safety car restart process. So under last year's sporting regulations, the safety car would return to the pits at the end of the following lap, potentially um, at the... Well... Um, the safety car would come in once the lap, the last lap car has passed the leader after the call has been given for them to overtake. That's what should have happened in Abu Dhabi. That's not what happened in Abu Dhabi. Mm-hmm. If that had happened, the safety car would not have made it in before the end of the race. Per the revised rules, safety car will only come in once the message lapped cars may now overtake has been sent to all competitors using the official messaging system. The track must have already been declared safe by the clerk of the course for this message to be given. Basically, what this says is once that message has gone out, at the end of that lap, the safety car comes in. It does not have to wait until the last lap car has passed the race leader. Okay. So the thought is that this would speed up safety car restarts. I'm not sure that this is better. I'm not either because I thought that the whole point of having lapped cars unlap themselves was to start to help return everybody to the same lap so that they could go racing again. Well, that's part of it. But what you potentially could end up with in this case is one of the lap cars moving up through the grid where they shouldn't have been safety car comes in and we've got green laps and instead of unlapping themselves they're now still a lap down and they're right smack in the middle of a pack 
and an aggressive restart. Yeah. So I don't think that this is a better option here. I, I, I think this is going to be a train wreck. Yeah, and then you got to think about the gamesmanship here. Mm-hmm. You've got somebody at the back of the pack that's a lapped car that then doesn't purposefully does not fully unlap themselves to impede uh yeah a partner team as it were well it's that but now all of a sudden you have this potential that you've got at the same time a safety car restart is going on blue flags flying Mm -hmm. how does that make sense yeah so I'm I'm not sure that this is going to play out the way they, and, and maybe I'm wrong, and and maybe it'll work out better, but I, I think there's going to be a scenario at least once in the coming season where we're going to have a safety car restart that they're going to pull that safety car in, and the unlapped cars haven't finished unlap or, or the lapped cars haven't finished unlapping themselves, and it's going to cause a problem during the restart. Is that a prediction? Are you going to write that down and put it in the vault? It might be, it might actually be. Okay. Have not decided yet. So other changes that have occurred as a result of that. Now, this was not as a result of Abu Dhabi, but as a result of Spa. Okay. Um, they have made changes in terms of how to deal with when you've got rain and you've got bad weather, whether or not you classify a race and how you do that and how you assign points. Okay. So under the new rules that will go into effect this season, in order for a, it to be classified as a race, the race leader must do two laps, a minimum of two laps, not behind a safety car. Okay. So in Spa, that, that didn't happen. They right. would have had to pull the, the, the safety car in. Um, so in a situation like that, the top five receive points... And the thing is, it's two laps or more, but not more than 25% of the race distance. Yeah, this is going to get confusing. I'm sorry. And, and I hopefully this doesn't get enacted because the commentators are going to be going, they're going to be ripping their hair out trying to figure this out. So if the race leader has completed between 25 to 50% of the schedule race distance, not behind a safety car, the top nine receive points, while if the race leader has completed between 50 to 75% of the scheduled race distance, the top 10 receive points. Okay. And then it, there's and different point ranges. scale yeah. of points based on the distances. So if a leader has completed, and this is without a safety car and or virtual safety car intervention, if the leader has completed more than two laps but less than 25% of the scheduled race distance, first place is six points, second is four points, third is three points, fourth is two points, and fifth for, gets one point. If the leader has completed 25% but less than 50% of the scheduled race distance, first place gets 13 points and it works down to ninth place, which gets one point. If the leader has completed 50% but less than 75% of the scheduled distance, points will be awarded with first place getting 19 points and 10th place getting one point. 
Okay. Not only do you have to have basically a chart, a chart for this, they've missed one important thing. Okay. It says not behind a safety car. Mm-hmm. It does not say anything about green flag conditions. Correct. You can't pass and you must be slower if it's yellow flags. Mm-hmm. So... You can still run two laps in, in a spot-like situation if it's good enough to... to well, but would Spa you would do, not have been able to do two laps under a yellow flag. And but, that's the thought is rain... Because I don't think you throw a yellow flag in rain. You don't. It's an incident. It's a. It's supposed mm-hmm. to be a corner isolated or a sector isolated incident. It's what it should be. You don't typically get full course yellows. That's an indie thing. Um, no, they they they'll do a full foot. Yellows in a specific sector um, is typically what you see. Um, but anyway, my point being. This is a very complicated system mm-hmm. where they could have, and I know that they didn't call me or they tried and I missed the call. Don't remember. All they would have had to do was say that you need to complete some number, two, five, I don't care what, under green flag conditions. Yeah. Because the reality is from a fan's perspective, we care that they can race safely. Mm-hmm. Must be safely, but that they can race. Can they race under yellow flag conditions? Not really. Can they race behind a safety car? Absolutely not. We want them to race. I think, personally, to classify a race, you should have some number of green flag laps. Period. There you go. I've just taken a rule and made it a sentence. That's the way it should work. Don't worry, when I call Herbie back to tell him that, you know, you admit that, you know, you apologized for dead, dead <laughs> I will tell yeah. Herbie, hey, could you bring this idea to the FIA? Because this is smarter than that. And by the way, we're glad you're not dead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so next change. Completely unrelated. This, These are now the... the 2022 rules we knew that there was some dissension about the sprint races with the with stefano domenicali and others wanting six and other teams going no we we don't want six and you need to pay us more money and if we're going to raise more you need to pay us more money and you need to pay us more money so there's a compromise Actually, it's not zero, is it? Because zero would be a good compromise. It, it, it's not zero. There, there's been a bunch of changes. Okay. So three, there will be three sprint races for this coming season. Okay. Um, the three events will be Emilia Romana, Austria, and Brazil again. So the events that were planned in Bahrain, Canada, and Holland have been dropped. Okay. Um, officially... It is no longer sprint qualifying. Okay. It is just the sprint. The reason for that, besides the fact that it really kind of makes the race pointless now. But anyway, the reason for that is because pole position for Sunday's race will be decided at Saturday, or excuse me, at the Friday qualifying. 
not the winner of the sprint. Okay. So the sprint race is now completely superfluous and just for the points for a few people. Just for points. Yeah. Points will be given to the top eight finishers instead of the top three. So really, at this point, you can think of it as you get two races over a weekend. Right. Now, admittedly, one of those is a shorter weekend. Shorter race. Or a shorter race, you're right. But really, that that's what you've got at this point. Uh, I mean, more races, yay? Okay. I guess it's better than reverse grids. It's better than reverse grids, and it's better than the sprint race. Just because you got pole position on Friday doesn't mean you have your pole position in the race on Sunday, and weird stuff happened at the sprint. And now you know you should have been you should have been front on Sunday, and you're starting in nineteenth. Yeah. So I mean, at least there's that. I mean, if you want to look at it from the from the perspective of, well, okay, we've we've got more actual racing. I I, I guess it's good. Okay. Uh, how about this? Okay. It's not reverse grids, yay, yeah. and you're not jeopardizing the qualifying that happened on Friday yeah. for the Sunday. I think those are positive steps forward. I believe in this giving them a compliment <laughs> before I tell them that it's still a stupid idea. However, okay, you're doing some things right. That is good. I will gladly take a wait and see feeling because you've changed these things. I will let you see how this goes this year. See if you make it work better this year. Because I admit, Brazil worked. Brazil worked. But... The more I think about how they've reformatted it, the less objectionable I find it. Again, from that perspective of you still have qualifying that sets pole position for Sunday, and really all this is giving us is a second race on the weekend. And I'm not sure I'm opposed to getting two races in qualifying on a weekend as opposed to a race that we're not really sure why we're having it other than to screw up the grid on Sunday. Okay, like I said, I'm willing to give them a shot because one out of three of the sprints last year was actually interesting to watch. That's not a good average, and in school that would have still been a failing grade, Stefano, but... (laughs) And what was it? 7% of the fans liked the sprint? I think it was three. It was a single-digit number. Again, Stefano, failing grade. You could have ticked off the percentage of fans on on your hands and still had fingers left over. That's what we know. <laughs> All right. So what else is changing? So, yeah, the next change, actually, I think this is kind of good. As I've learned about this and understood what the, what the plan is here, I, I, I kind of like this idea. So there's going to be... For, for lack of a, a better term, a technical show and t- well, technical show and tell sessions across the race weekend. Um, 
technical show and tell do tell so according to the sporting regulations all the teams are required to submit to the fia a document that gives the name and brief description of all major aerodynamic and bodywork components and assemblies that were not used at the last race and are intended to be run that weekend this needs to be submitted to the fia on thursday afternoon and will not be revealed to the media until a and this is the key thing pre-event automobile display which will take place no later than 90 minutes before the start of free practice one wait for it here in this display teams have to make both of their cars available for the media outside of the garage for up to one hour and the cars have to be fitted with all the major aerodynamic and bodywork components that are intended to be used when the car leaves the pit lane for the first for the first time at the start of free practice one so what this is, is if you go and put upgrades on your car that you intend to run for the race season or, or for the race weekend, you have to make the car available to the press to check out before the start of free practice one so that they can see the changes. They understand what the intent was because you filed that letter, letter with the FIA and they can report on it so they can explain to us what's been done. Okay. Previously, that was photographers wandering through the paddock in the pit lane, snapping pictures and handing them to the journalists who were like, wait, I don't think this was on the car last week. We think that this is supposed to do this. So it was more speculation and work on the journalist part. Right. And now it won't be. Now it's the team saying, this is why we did this thing. So here's the question. Okay. If I'm Mercedes mm-hmm. and I decide I'm going to try out, oh, let's pretend a, a new front wing. Mm-hmm. And I put it on display with its little brief technical outline. What exactly is preventing Red Bull from snagging my little technical outline and going, hmm, I can do that. That's kind of the point. I don't want to do that. Well, but it, it and again, we, we know the teams do this. Right. But now it's giving the fans a little bit more insight into what's happening and why. And oh, by the way, that's not the only session. So there's something else happening here, and this is where I thought you were going, is that a second show-and-tell session will then take place 30 minutes after qualifying once car specifications are locked in under Park Ferme. For this, five teams will be required to supply one car each as supplied by the race director. Also during this session, each team must make a senior figure available for a media session to explain all the aerodynamic and bodywork changes made to the car since the Friday display. Oh, so even if they were testing a wing on free practice one that wasn't going to get run. Right. And then they decide, ooh, we're going to run it. Or they go back and run something different. They can't get away with putting out, oh, we're going to do this in free practice one. This is what we're running. And then do a right. rope-a-dope uh, at the very last minute. That's interesting. Again, it sounds like it could be really cool. 
The cynic in me goes, how could that go horribly wrong? And it, it very well might. But I think it's an interesting idea. At least near term. We'll see. Yep. I mean, for all we know, it's going to be incredibly boring and the journalists won't really report on it, too. Yeah. Like, we put a piece of carbon fiber on the left front wing. <laughs> well, it's going to be, well, why? Because it was cool. Yeah. So. <laughs> Skippy the engineer is going to get to do this job. The next change for 2022. So as you recall, the last several years, the requirement when it came to your race tire, what, what tire you started with, was that the tire you, um, if, and, and it was only for the folks who made it to, to uh, Q3, Mm-hmm. was the top 10 the tire that they set the fastest time on in Q2 was the same tire that they started the race on the next day right so it was one of those the idea behind it was you know does a driver try and make it into sneak into Q3 with a harder tire so that he can go longer on race day as opposed to a softer tire or you know or does he does he push to get into q3 or can he get into q3 um can he only get into q3 on a softer tire and and how much do you push that tire because if you take too much life out of it in qualifying is that gonna hurt you in Mm -hmm. on the race an element of unsurety and you know strategy that got applied to q2 and that was the hope, was that um, by doing this, you'd see more diverse tire strategies on the race day. Mm-hmm. It didn't quite plan, pan out that way. No, because the top teams could make it to Q3 on the harder tire. Mm-hmm. And then there were always a usually. couple... Usually. And then there were always a couple of those mid-pack teams that were... They were the sort of the wild cards, that, but they were always going to qualify in the back half of... Mm-hmm. Q3 and then there was a whole other strategy of don't make it to Q3 because if you could be 11th you had tire choice you had tire choice and you could have brand spanking new tires Mm -hmm. which would have been better than whatever typically at least 8th and 9th if not 7th 8th and 9th were were run uh sorry uh 8 9 and 10 or you know possibly more well a lot of times it was that thought that the softer tire a a lot of the cars that got into q3 were running the softer tire and by having that tire choice you could go start the race on the harder tire and go longer right and essentially jump those those drivers because they'd Mm -hmm. have to stop earlier so i mean it it gave interesting things to the mid-pack too occasionally it didn't happen often but it doesn't you know it it was it was interesting but the top teams always made it to Q3 anyway, and they could do it on the harder tire. And so you still had the first four mm-hmm. or five people on the harder tire all at the same tire. Okay, so obviously we're scrapping this. Yes, that, that is now out the window. So it's free choice for everyone? Uh, yes, essentially. Um, th- this was basically, you know, looking at what happened this sprint. We- and that that's one of the, the big... Um, causes of it was the sprint weekend those weekends teams got free tire choice for sunday Mm -hmm. and 
the races played out without any issues and we didn't see a whole lot of diverse tire strategies as a result of this rule so it's now been scrapped the q2 tire rule is gone nice so well that will save some definite journalistic explanations for all of you new fans out there let me explain (laughs) what's you know a little less tire discussion always makes me happy (laughs) so so we're starting to see new cars yay they're starting to hit the track the design is very distinctive um I don't think it's quite as bad as the proboscis nose we have seen in the past and some of the other <laughs> funkified designs. Um, actually, in a lot of ways, um, this design looks... There, there's a lot of resemblance to when IndyCar redid their car, what was that, four years ago, five years ago? I see a lot of similarities in what the teams are coming out with. But remember, a lot of these changes are made to make it easier for cars to follow close. It's supposed to eliminate or uh, downplay dirty air coming mm-hmm. off the back of the car. And they think, we won't know until later this week, because this week is winter testing. No. No, I'm sorry. Mutually agreed to private (laughs) private shakedown in Barcelona that the fans are not allowed at. But everybody else is there. Uh, And there will be no broadcasting. Yeah, no broadcasting. None. Anyway. uh, (laughs) But it's supposed to clear up that turbulence. Uh Uh-huh. So Ross Braun this week came out and said... Yeah, I don't think that teams are going to look for ways to sabotage the rules and dirty their wake. Which he might have been right last week. (laughs) Up until the moment. Now they're all going, huh, that's a really interesting idea. Yeah, Adrian Newey was already there. He's saying, I'm sorry, but he was already there. Um, He thinks that teams don't have the time or the budget to do this. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah right um no i thought that this headline made ross braun the most optimistic human possibly the most naive one but the most optimistic human i have ever heard well all is, all i'm thinking as i'm reading this is okay ross if you were still a team principal you'd be doing exactly that Exactly. You'd be putting little fans and flappy things in the back just to specifically disturb the airflow back there. Well, I think that fans and flappy bits are verboten. Um, I, I tried to read the technical regulations, but it's in centimeters and I, he, I can't follow. He would be doing something it, to he, dirty that airflow up. Is my memory correct? Wasn't he part of the group that got it right with the fan car no no he was double diffuser he was double diffuser yeah double diffuser yeah ross double diffuser braun yeah that's Mm -hmm. okay mr otmar otmar has a new job yes it's good to hear that you know he's not on gardening leave forever the new team principal over at alpine who as you may or may not recall last year had announced that they had reorganized themselves for the start of the 2021 season that they would not have one boss they would have three always a good plan 
They would not have a team principal. They would have three. By the way, two of those folks are not in leadership positions with the Formula One team anymore. Well, you really do have to leave it to the French to do everything by committee. Yeah. So Otmar has joined a team, which interestingly enough, by the way, not only has he joined a team, but it appears that he brought a sponsor with him. A pink sponsor? A, a pink sponsor. We do not yet know what the Alpine scheme is. Mm. There was reportedly a leaked image that Alpine has since come out and said, yeah, no, that's not the car. Oh. However, BWT has left Racing Point Aston Martin... And has joined Alpine as their new one of their new sponsors. There's been a lot of movement in sponsorship this year. So, here's the question: When you <clears throat> first told me this, mm-hmm. I remember reading or listening to um, part of a book that you read. It was a recording by the author of a meeting with Otmar. Correct, and it was specifically around the getting the BWT sponsorship for uh-huh. the then Racing Point. And there's a lot of convolutedness in the storyline. But this guy says, the author had said that he had brokered the deal yes. or helped bring them the deal. And Otmar basically had said that, you know, he had a meeting. I mean, I think that's all he agreed that occurred is mm-hmm. he had had a meeting. It did not sound from that recording like Otmar was buddy-buddies with BWT. Well, based on how the author of the book told it, his claim, and and, and this all went down while VJ still owned the team, and it was still Force India, because remember, the first year that they went pink, it was still a Force India team. Right. His claim was that neither Otmar nor VJ trusted BWT and believed that they had the money and that it was Toto Wolf who reached out to Otmar and VJ to vouch for BWT that they were legitimate. Mm. Now, BWT has had significant presence in DTM and several and, and sports cars and several other series for years. So the thought that Otmar didn't know who they were was odd right and so if that story pans out at mm-hmm. all then to think that Otmar would have been the catalyst for them to move from uh Aston Martin to Alpine seems improbable yeah but the fact that they did a week before Otmar got named makes that original story seem so much less plausible. It does. But, you know, the other thing you got to think about, though, is that that deal was in place, what, four years before Aston came around? Mm -hmm. And a key piece of that deal was the car being pink. Correct. And now you've got Lawrence coming in who, who has decided that it is Aston Martin and it will be British Racing Green because it is a British company. Could that have caused some tension and Otmar trying to smooth it is what maybe I don't know. And maybe they became besties over the four years, but I don't know. It was just, it was kind of, that was the first thing I thought about. It was, well, wait a minute. Yeah. So we're starting to see cars. Like I mentioned, 
the Ferrari, I, I am really interested in, and unfortunately it's really hard to, and maybe this will end up being our, our image, our album art for the week. Okay. Because the Ferrari cars kind of, the side pods, mm-hmm. I look at the side pods on the new Ferrari and I don't really understand what they're doing there. I don't understand how they are really of aerodynamic value because honestly it looks like there's two wash basins on either side of the cockpit so the the depressions on either side of the cockpit um you got to think about airflow going over them Mm -hmm. in a way my first reaction when i saw it was like you think about airflow over the back end of a pickup truck you know there becomes circular oh okay i'm not an engineer in the back of a pickup truck, you get circular air going through the, the bed of the truck. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the air bubble that goes across, and it goes across that circle of air. Is it entirely possible that it's creating a circle of air that's pushing down on the car? I don't know. I have no aerodynamic background I mean, whatsoever. So I, I, I look at it, and I see these big wells here. Mm-hmm. And I kind of wonder if that would actually cause lift, not downforce. I I I can't see that. I mean, I I could. It, it looks like something that would cause drag, if anything, which isn't a good thing, or it would work against your ground effects that are supposed to be holding the car to the track and creating the you know the the extra traction so i i don't quite know and i think this week is going to be kind of interesting to understand how this car performs i know the car's been out at fiorano already Mm -hmm. for their their photo their 100 miles that they're allowed to do but i just it's an odd design they're the only ones who've gone this way well i mean you don't know i'm not exactly sure i would theorize lift but again, I'm not an aerodynamicist by any stretch of the imagination. Um, so I don't know. I think it'll be interesting to see how the, the Boffins analyze this design. Now, the one thing we are seeing so far is there are some substantial differences between the team's approaches. Which is always cool to see. Yeah, whether it's the, the wash basins on either side of the... The Ferrari, the the Mercedes, the actual that's <laughs> the other odd thing. So Mercedes, like several teams, released different pictures than what is actually on the car. Now Williams did it. They released the livery on a show car, mm-hmm. and we saw the, the car later in the day. And they acknowledged right off the bat that was a show car, and they did it because there were some technical problems with the launch that delayed actually revealing it but that was why they did that mercedes hasn't what what they initially released pictures of was clearly not a show car and the haas did something similar although haas admitted that their pictures while it wasn't a show car it was an early prototype that they released pictures of not the final car oh okay because there were some parts that people are looking at and are like, yeah, we don't think that that's legal. Well, um, <laughs> that wouldn't be the first time. Yeah. 
Um, but they have said that, that what they released was not the, the final version of the car. Mercedes, the pictures that they released, while it was clearly intended to be a 2022 car, what actually showed up in Silverstone later in the day that everyone had pictures of that Mercedes releases, was releasing pictures of. It's the W13, I believe. Mm. Um, didn't look like the pictures that so the area that, that around the side pods and the floor had this wavy design mm-hmm. which apparently mercedes has tested in a couple of the free practice sessions this last year but didn't actually use it oh um so there's that um apparently when folks zoomed in on the car that was revealed during mclaren's uh, car reveal. Well, yes, again, very much a 2022 car. When folks zoomed in, they noticed that over the floor section and the floor detail were black shrouds with the sponsor logos. <laughs> Interesting. To hide the floor detail. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you, you couldn't tell from most of the pictures until folks really zoomed in and went, wait a minute. <laughs> So, yeah, there, there's some interesting stuff going on right now around that. Um, one thing we do know about Mercedes, and this is confirmed, is that we're back to the silver, silver arrows. Okay. Um, and actually, officially, what they've done is it is going to be silver and black. So, top half of the car is silver. There is the green stripe that swishes through it. And then the lower portion of the car is black. And this is a very deliberate design choice. Um, as Toto Wolf explained um, at the launch, he said the black livery was a clear intent and a clear demonstration of our mission to become a more diverse and inclusive team. It has become a part of our DNA, but the silver color of the silver arrows is as much our DNA. It's our history. As a team, we have grown from the silver arrows to slowly becoming a more diverse and inclusive team, and therefore our colors going forward will be silver and black. Increasing the diversity of our team isn't about meeting a quota. It's about recruiting the very best people regardless of ethnicity, gender, religion, or sexual orientation. Um, What Mercedes released is that they had a target of 25% of new recruits coming from underrepresented groups in the first year they over they 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 overshot that target and actually brought in 38 percent. that's awesome yeah the number of female employees has risen from 12 to 14 percent while those from ethnic minorities has increased from three to six percent so significant jump there but that's why they're, you know, it's still not that Mercedes is the silver arrows, mm-hmm. but they're still keeping that push for diversity. I like it. So. I like it. Now, Williams, Josh Capito, team principal over at Williams, has said that they are no longer a family business. They have made critical changes and that they are now a well-structured engineering company. Wow. That's a nice little dig. Yeah, it was a little. Actually, I'm a little concerned, but by, by by him saying something like this. Okay. But he says that they've made they didn't do a lot of personnel changes, but they did critical changes, and he says that he thinks 
that what helped a lot is to improve the spirit and to give pride back to the team. He said, we don't accept anymore to be last. We want to move up the grid and we work hard to do that. And we need the spirit and we need to enjoy the journey. So, yeah, I'm a little concerned that this is telegraphing that we may try and erase Williams. But I don't know. I, I am very concerned about a private capital company holding this team. I, I agree with you. I mean, here's but here's the reality. The Williams team isn't Williams anymore. True. And it just it won't be. Um but again, I I think these are, are I think this is more digs than it is uh anything else i believe that the williams name will live on because i'm betting that the heritage money is tied to it that may be now the other change that has been made and first of all we we got confirmation that last year um Ginny's butterfly was not on the car um but the other change that was made this year was the senate s was removed from the car so what what uh, Josh Capito says is that this is to look into the future and that by not showing the drivers the S all the time, they get in the car and being reminded of what happened. Mm. He says that now they're moving forward. He says what they are doing as a tribute to Senna and, and will continue to do as a tribute to Senna is while they won't put the S on the car, they are dedicating a portion of the Williams Heritage Museum to Ayrton Senna. Okay. Um, he also says that they have not spoken to the Senna family about this. There have been no consultations. And the other thing that he said, and it was interesting that he said it, was that they also intended further partnerships and engagement with the Senna Foundation. Interesting. Intended, which doesn't say to me that they've actually spoken to them yet. Hmm. Yeah. So I. Well. In a way, I get it. I think it's sad to see something that, you know, has has been there. And had such meaning. And had such meaning. But, and not to be morbid, but this generation is getting in a car. And to get in a car and look at the S and be reminded that not just was this a really great race driver, but he was one that died on the track. Mm-hmm. And that's morbid yeah and honestly i kind of think that what they removed from the car was death i mean potentially if you think about both the s and the butterfly and i get it it had a lot of meaning to the williams family yeah but Ginny's butterfly didn't that go on the car before she died i don't think it did i thought it was a tribute for her after she died and, and represented all that she had done for the team after that so i gotta get on i i you know taking that macabre side i i see what he's trying to do and i hope that he's doing it to try to really focus the team moving forward to keep it positive um but you know i i will hurt if there's a race that's run without a williams team on the grid 
But the reality is they're Williams in name only right now. That's the thing. And I think we have to admit that, you know? Yeah. You know, it's it's sad, but, you know, that it happens. So next couple of stories, because we're, we're getting to the home stretch now. We have a confirmed official date for the next season of Drive to Survive, March 11th. Exactly. I know what I'm doing. I, I, I'm really interested to see how they handle this season. I mean, on one hand, it is a season that is tailor-made for Netflix and tailor-made for what they're trying to do. On the other, one, they, they have not traditionally stayed all the way through a season. And if they don't, carry all the way through the season they're not telling the story of this season in particular number one number two the way they have manipulated some of the races and some of the narratives could be really problematic for this this past season well that's the thing is they also haven't traditionally focused on the top battle they've tried to they've I, they I get manipulated. Well, they haven't had the access, but they've m- manipulated, but they've told some of the mid pack stories. Yeah. And quite frankly, while yes, this is a season that it was tailor made for the drama that they would want to bring, uh, because of the drama at the front end of the grid, a lot of the mid pack stuff didn't ever make the news. They could have a phenomenal season by telling the stories that didn't get told. If they, they do can, that. if they do that. And, and you know, it, it may be that, that only part of the season is dedicated to the title champion. And, and I think that would be fair if they did that. But it also, it, it begs the question because Max made it clear. He did not provide access to Netflix. He didn't want anything to do with Netflix. He knows of their history for over-dramatizing. And I think that's fair for him to mm-hmm. be concerned but the other piece of that is how are they going to portray him this year exactly yeah so I, I think it'll be interesting I'm gonna watch um we also got news from Formula One that they have plans to um set up uh new launch new race simulation experience centers so this will be for fans to go somewhere and experience racing in a simulator. Okay. Um, the centers that, that are going to be created will host up to 60 simulators. And guests will have a chance to choose from a variety of different racing modes that cater for all skill level, levels. Uh, the simulators will be an, a specific update of the R-Factor 2 simulator and will feature the latest laser scan tracks cars and physics models um the first center is expected to open at the one new change center in london at the end of this year um it's hoped to expand these up to 30 cities around the world uh including in the uk the usa western europe the middle east and asia so as we know more about these and what they're going to look like we will share that sounds like fun could be interesting now it depends I mean, eyebrows is not involved, so it could be fun. I don't know. Well, it depends. You, you may end up racing against not a Formula One driver. 
I know. You definitely <laughs> are going to race against not a Formula One driver. Um, word came out this week that Coda has signed a five-year deal to continue to host the U.S. Grand Prix. Yeah. So good news there, um, which, yeah, we, we thought it was a little shaky at, at one point. But it, now there's also talk, not only do we have Miami, but there's, it, it sounds like they may be closing on a deal in Vegas as well. In a parking lot? Not in a parking lot. <laughs> hopefully not in a parking lot. Well, hopefully not in a Caesars parking lot. That's the other thing. <laughs> <laughs> just let's, I mean, let's try not being in a parking lot. They, they've got the Las Vegas Motor Speed. There's certainly the land around Vegas to build a track. Mm-hmm. So we'll see what happens. Um, but potential for a third race in the U.S., which crazy. Absolutely crazy. And then Mario, I mean, talking about, I mean, you couldn't get much closer than right to the source. Mario Andretti announcing that Michael Andretti has applied to the FIA to enter Formula One for the, or to enter a team in Formula One for the 2024 season. He says he has the resources, checks every box, he's just waiting on the FIA's determination. Word also came out that if the FIA were to demand of them a $200 million entry fee, he can pay it. I'm adoptable. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm assuming that's not personal. I, that, that that is Andretti <laughs> Autosport can pay it's $200 million. Like, I'm just going to write a check. It'll be yeah. fine. Yeah. Well, I mean, I realized that when we saw him in uh, Elkhart Lake, at Road America, he didn't tell us about this, which I'm a little disappointed. Well, because, again, remember, at that point, they were still talking to Alfa Romeo. True. And, and they weren't allowed to talk about the negotiations at that point. It was still early stages contract. So, I, you know, I, I can understand that. I mean, but, I mean, we ate with the man. <clears throat> I would have thought that breaking bread would have gotten us at least <laughs> a, a, well, if that doesn't pan out, we got other, you know, things in the fire. Something like that. But no, he goes off and tells Autosport, not us. I mean, I'm very disappointed. No, actually, Mario did not tell Autosport. The first anybody learned about this was Mario made a tweet. <laughs> Mario tweets? Apparently, he did. I don't follow Mario's tweet. I, I was scrolling through Reddit, and they're, they're sharing it. And sure enough, I clicked through it. It was, whoa, look at that. <laughs> <laughs> wait, 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 wait a minute. I think you buried the lead. Mario's like 900 years old. <laughs> and he tweets? Really? So the Indianapolis press is reporting that at this point, Michael's plans and, and Andretti Autosports plans would be to design and build the cars in Indianapolis. Oh, that'd be so cool. It would be cool. I think it would be stupid. Well, they'd be missing all of the knowledge base that's in the valley yep. in England. I mean, that's I mean, the problem. There, there is a significant amount of knowledge and expertise and experience and, oh, Silverstone right there for them to take advantage of in Motorsports Valley in the UK. Even Haas realized that you can't go and do everything from the U.S., even though he's got, what, four different teams that operate out of Kannapolis. 
he still has the base over in the UK. And that's the thing is he may think, you know, they may look at Haas and go, oh, well, that was Kanapolis. And, you know, it's a different world. And Indy's a lot closer to um, Formula One than NASCAR is. But they've got the motor speedway they you yeah. know they've got things that i can't got the road course. that's true you've got the Indy you got the is road a grade course. one road track. course i mean you've got things but there's always that you know there's there's some experience i'd love to see it come i'd love to see something start coming to the u.s i think that would be a huge benefit yeah um and especially the sheer fact that you know as much as we complain about their coverage Netflix has really raised specifically in the U.S. Yeah. the profile of Formula One, so and I think that's that. why Andretti is interested again in it. The one thing that I'll say is, yeah, you do have a lot of open wheel racing experience in Indianapolis, and design and engineering is great. But in terms of pit crews and mechanics and stuff like that, not to knock the Indy pit crews. But a pit stop in, in in IndyCar is nothing like a Formula One pit stop and at all. And that's the thing, is getting a Formula One pit crew. Mm-hmm. I mean, we saw Haas stumble hard trying to figure that one out. Three straight years. Um, that's, that's critical. You're not going to do it unless you get a Formula One pit crew and then you work at it. And that's the thing with Haas, is everybody turned around and said... That that pit garage and, and and their crew and everything else, they got a lot of experience from the UK and a lot of good formula. And they came walking in there, and everyone who knew Formula One looked at Haas and their setup there compared to Manor, Marusha, and Caterham, and they're like, they they know what's going on. This is as crisp as you can get for any formula. They were right up on par. And they still screwed up first race of the season three years in a row. Yep. Exactly. Um, you had told me that that was going to be our last story. Mm-hmm. It was our last Formula One story. Did you have another story? I thought you were going to you were going to tell the story of. Well, we 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 do have the race. We have an interesting penalty. <laughs> that came out of the Asian Le Mans series this past weekend at Yas Marina. Yes. So, um, the memo that we have was decision number 51 from the panel of stewards to the competitor's representative for Herbeth Motorsport uh, at the, I believe it was the four hours of Yas Marina, of the Asian Le Mans series. Um the statement was the stewards having received a report from the emso chief marshal in regards to an incident during the period of the red flag while cars were parked at the grid have reviewed the marshal involved summoned and heard the competitor and the driver reviewed the matter determined a breach of the regulations has been committed by the competitor named below and decided to impose the following penalty so driver number 91 alfred renauer competitor for herbeth motorsport in session in in race number one during the red flag period the facts during the red flag period when all the cars were lined up at the red flag line on the grid 
the driver was witnessed by a track marshal urinating behind a post. As was a female marshal who noticed, she immediately called the attention of a male marshal to discourage the action. So under Articles 11.9.3.L and 12.2.1K of the International, the FIA International Sporting Code, he was hit with a fine of 20,000 euros, amount of which 10,000 euros was due with 10,000 suspended until the start of race two, subject to the submission to the panel of stewards of a written apology addressed to the Emirates Motorsports Organization, failure of which will require payment of the suspended portion of the penalty. So the reason in certain cultures where acts or deeds vary in level of acceptance, the panel of stewards recognized that in the UAE, such an act is extremely disrespectful and is a criminal offense. It is those last <laughs> two words that got me. Yeah. I wonder if we could, like, you know, impose that on the golf course behind us. <laughs> I'm just amazed the fact that their driver thought that during a red flag period, it was okay to go and take a whiz behind a Marshall post. <laughs> it wasn't behind a Marshall post. It was just behind a post. Yeah, but Okay, behind a post. Yes. When you gotta go. You gotta go. Yeah. Oh, so bad. So bad. Um, on that... Um... We'll call it a show. <laughs> we are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is, there, is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. A little break? Okay.